since November 28, 1987, Kevin Williams has had a heavy interest in radio. Since the spring of 1994, he has been observing radio closely. Now, listen to Kevin Williams on the LDS podcast. Here's Kevin Williams. It is 11.43 a.m. on December 22nd, 2017. This is the LDS Live Podcast. I'm Kevin Williams coming to you from my Kevin Cave here in West Jordan, Utah. I'm sorry I am late to podcasting. I know I said on the website that I was going to do it tomorrow when I was blogging on uh, Tuesday. But you know what? A lot of things came up in the news as it pertains to the LDS community. Well, not a lot, but I had to do a lot of research just to do a good podcast. And it's more than just the Christmas memory. Yes, I'll get into the Christmas memory. But there's so much going on right now, and I have to talk about it. There's a a new policy as it pertains to temple baptisms. And I have to talk about the Bundys, because they are LDS, and I have had people on here talking about them before. Janely Tobias and Brian Hyde, particularly. Who, by the way, I consider good friends of mine. Even though I don't interact with them a whole lot, but if Janelee or Brian were to invite me over for dinner, I certainly would accept the invitation, assuming, of course, that there I had nothing going on at that time. Although... I could certainly rearrange a time. But I'm just saying I consider them good friends of mine. No, no, uh, Janelee and Brian, you don't have to have me over for dinner. But I'm just saying uh, I consider those two people people that I would want to or people that I do want to associate with. First of all, let's talk about the LDS Temple. Last week, the church released a statement that people who are 16 and older, men who are 16 and older, that held the Melchizedek priesthood, can now do baptisms for the dead. And the reason for this change is because they have, I guess there's been a lot of records submitted for genealogy and I know a lot of youth are now starting to do genealogy I think that's great and I credit David R or David A Bentnar for the youth getting into genealogy he's the one in October 2011 and I remember hearing this talk on the radio It was uh, during the Saturday afternoon session, October 2011, that he talked about the spirit of Elijah coming. And then he put a challenge to the youth. And I'm paraphrasing, but saying that uh, it has been thought that usually older people do genealogy. But David David A. Bentnor said, that the youth can do it as well. As a matter of fact, he he took it a step further and said, your fingers are used to tweeting and texting, but they this technology is... But basically, your fingers can do more than just te- texting and tweeting to your friends. 
that's really what got the ball rolling on this, I think. So I have to give tremendous credit to David R. I keep David A. Bentner. I keep wanting to say David R. Bentner. It just rolls right off the top of your tongue, doesn't it? David R. Bentner. It's also fun to say, but it's David A. Bentner. So good for him. And also, uh, women can now hand out towels and probably uh, put the suits, you know, those white suits that you wear uh, when you're doing baptisms for the dead. Uh, they can dry those out and hand them out, hand out towels. Now, I have to address this issue because I know that people have been tweeting about it on social media. Oh, what about the women? Yes, I know women up until I believe it was 1953 or something like that were able to be a witness for ceilings and possibly other things. And now the people who are tweeting and going on the social media are saying that, oh, women can't do much, we're still being held back. Well, women can still do initiator, uh, or uh, they can still do the... They can still do the washing and anointings in the temple. They can do a lot of things. And for those of you who are upset that they didn't extend a bigger role to women, well, if you believe that the church is being led by revelation, if you believe that the church is being guided by a higher power, in this case God, or Jesus Christ, then you just have to put your faith in that. I'm not saying the church will never change the, uh, issue, the temple policies for women, but I can guarantee you these decisions do not come overnight. This decision may have been years in the making, or a year in the making. So I think the church knows what they're doing. And I'm sure that uh, the temple president and his wife, the temple matron, I'm sure the temple matron has a pretty good role to fill. So that's my take. I think that this is great. And again, I have to credit David A. Bentnar for getting the youth excited about genealogy because that's that's like I said that's where it started all right we're going to get into some hard-hitting conversation about the Bundys as you know Judge Gloria Navarre called a mistrial on December 20th because of exculptural evidence what is exculptural evidence Oh, I'm sorry, it's exculpatory evidence. Exculpatory evidence. Evidence that the defendant did not commit the crime he or she was accused of. Yeah, there was ex uh, exculpatory evidence being withheld. For example, the government denied left and right that there were snipers on the hill. In fact, some reports have even read, Clive Bundy even said there were 200 snipers around his ranch. The government denied that there was surveillance. Well, that's been proven in, the, in a court of law now. The government had to come out and admit it because of phone calls 
that were played in the courtroom and such. And we have this incriminating memo that incriminated the BLM. The government also denied shredding evidence. And what about Dan Love's supposed lost notebook? I don't think it was a lost notebook. I personally think, it's my opinion, that it was done intentionally. What about the tasing? That's all come out. Remember how they uh, tased Ammon Bundy and how they uh, threw one of the Bundy daughters to the ground? And she is now a cancer survivor. I'm not sure if she had cancer back then or not. But remember how they threw her to the ground? It's also been noted in the memo that some of the BLM agents were bragging about how they grinded David Bundy's face into the gravel. and Some of the gravel got stuck on his face. And it's also noted in this memo that there was some real vulgar language, and I'm not going to repeat on this podcast, but there was some real vulgar language being used to describe the Bundys. Or just, uh, you know, it was, it was teasing and taunting is what it was. It was like middle school kids. One of the things is uh, Clive and Bundy, a failure. Doesn't that roll off the tongue quite nicely? I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what it said. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Randy Weaver. Remember the standoff, the Ruby Ridge standoff in August of 1992, late August of 92? That's what this reminds me of. If you haven't read much about the standoff at Ruby Ridge, you need to go check out the book, Every Knee Shall Bow. And I don't remember who wrote it. But the guy who wrote it was a journalist for a newspaper out of Spokane. That book told me everything I needed to know about the Weavers. Yes, maybe the journalist was a liberal, but you know what? He got his facts pretty darn straight, if you ask me. Because I also Googled it and watched plenty of documentaries about Randy Weaver on the Internet. Remember in the standoff, if you haven't read it, read the book, but for those of you that remember, and for those of you that don't, remember in the standoff, I think it was the third day, second or third day, FBI negotiator Fred Lansley got on the PA system, because remember they had a PA system right near the cabin, and the speaker was loud enough that you could hear inside. Remember, it was a log cabin that they lived in, so it wasn't that hard to put something up against the cabin or near it. Remember that Fred Lansley said, Good morning, Mrs. Weaver. We have breakfast for you out here. Send your children out. Good morning, Mrs. Weaver. We have pancakes out here. Feel free to send your kids out here. Again, I'm paraphrasing. That's that's what it was. And then they would say things like, How's the baby? just really degrading to the Weavers. Never mind the fact that Vicki Weaver was shot dead with a baby in her arms that Saturday night when the standoff officially begun. 
I think it's great that this is starting to come out finally. Now, I have my opinions about the Bundys. Some of you are going to disagree with me. My opinion is, I think Clive and Bundy should have continued to pay his fees, or I think Clive and Bundy should have maybe sold most of his property and kept his house. I'll tell you why. No, I'm not a bleeding-heart liberal either, folks. Just listen, okay? I think Clive and Bundy should have paid his fees and then maybe quit ranching at some point and got a whole coalition of ranchers together. Or he could have paid his fees and just got a coalition of ranchers together and maybe formed a ranching federation or ranching coalition or something like that. And he could have gotten a group together, and they could have held conventions. Uh, they could have been a lobbying group to go to each state saying, these fees are too high, can we do something at the state level? And then took it on to the federal level. And have a group of ranchers go to D.C. every single year lobbying for the fees to go down. Now, some may say, oh, Kevin, there's more to the story. There's more as to why the grazing fees were raised back in 1993. I don't doubt that. But that's a start. And yes, it would probably, it would take, well, there's no probably about it, it would take a very skilled attorney to find out what more there is to the story of raising the grazing fees in 1993. But when you thumb your nose at a federal law like this, you get a lot of repercussion. I think what the government has done to the Bundys is cruel and very draconian. But you also need to follow the law, and there are ways to work within the system to change it. But I'll tell you this, there's one thing that Clive and Bundy and his sons, along with Lavoy Finicum, have taught us. It is the corruption of the government. I had no idea the BLM was this corrupt. And it isn't just the BLM, it's the FBI, it's the uranium deal that Hillary Clinton uh, signed off on to sell the uranium to the Russians. It's a bunch of things. It's the fact that Harry Reid wanted uh, that land to put a solar farm through. No one's talking about that. So, going back to 93, yeah, there might be more to the story as to why the grazing fees are raised. But, again, you've got to start somewhere. And in my opinion, the best way to do that is to work within the system. Now, some might say, oh, Kevin, we've done all that. Well, I don't know. I don't think so. Let me tell you something. I have been a lobbyist before. I have gone up to Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. and lobbied on behalf of the blind community. Some of our efforts have worked. Some haven't. 
But you know what? We've progressed a lot as a blind community since we started doing that. So I don't think we have done everything. I don't think enough people are getting politically involved and are willing to take time out of their busy schedule to spend a week at Capitol Hill in D.C. I don't think we have... Now, people are starting to wake up. I'm seeing it. People are starting to wake up. But we need a lot more people waking up. We need a lot more people who are willing to go down the rabbit hole of research as I have. We need a lot more. But back to my point here about the Bundys. One thing I can say is the Bundys have brought to light all the corruption the BLM. And again, I said earlier, it's not just the BLM. And yes, there's the other issues, like the solar farm issue, the FBI. What about the fact that the FBI and the BLM were told to shred evidence on April 10th of 2014, two days before the standoff on April 12th? What about the BLM listening in on phone calls to the Bundys and their lawyers? What about, like I said, what, what about the uh, James Comey not willing to prosecute Hillary? It isn't just the BLM. But I can tell you this about the Bundys, as much as I disagree with their tactics. I honestly and truly believe, and I know some of you out there are going to disagree with me, but I honestly and truly believe they are good people in spite of the fact that I disagree with their tactics. And yes, I thought occupying the federal building in Burns, Oregon was a bad move as well. And the reason I thought that was a bad move is because there were several instigators in that building that were trying to provoke violence. And it could have been so easy to be suckered into that. And now look at where I'm in Bundy's at now. He's in jail. Now, some say, oh, he might have been in jail with or without that. Well, maybe, but he just bought more of that on himself. But I really believe, again, folks, they are good people. I can I can feel it whenever I listen to an interview from the Bundys, particularly Carol. And I'm going to have Brian Hyde back on the podcast at, uh, at the beginning of next year, the beginning of next month. I'm going to bring this by him because I really believe... There's something about Carol Bundy, and she has a very special spirit. I can feel it whenever I listen to her talk. It's an interesting thing. I don't feel it as much with Ammon and others, but I can definitely feel it with Carol. I'm going to ask Brian about that, because there might be something to that. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. And yes, Brian Hyde is absolutely right and we are learning this remember when brian hyde on the abc perspective on the first monday of april the sat the monday after the cattle were being killed and ammon bundy was being tasered and david bundy was being thrown to the ground 
Brian Hyde hit it right on the head when he used to do the ABC perspective with him and Kate Daly. You may not like Clive and Bundy. You may think that he should have paid his grazing fees. But it's more than just Clive Bundy. Oh, he was ever so correct. And I remember listening to that and thinking, yeah, that's true, but now I know what he said was true because look at Lavoy Finnegan. Look at what happened to the Hammonds. They're still sitting in jail in Oregon. So Brian Hyde is absolutely right. If Judge Gloria Navarre chooses to have a mistrial on January 8th without prejudice, I think that's a blow to the government's head, especially in this case the BLM. And I think if she does this, folks at the BLM and other agencies, you had better knock this crap off that you're doing. Now, I'm not saying every agent is doing this, but enough of you are, you had better knock it off, or there will be hell to pay if there isn't already. Let me say that again. You had better knock it off, or there will be hell to pay. I personally think it would be great if Dan Love was prosecuted and put in prison. He needs to be put in prison. Especially, uh, I'm sure Dan Love was the one that was in charge of uh, keeping uh, David Bundy's iPad, never mind the fact they weren't going to use that in court. I'm sure he instigated a lot of that. And uh, if you want, I would encourage you to go read the memo that was released by Washington State Legislature Matt Shea. Read some of the vulgarity that's in that memo that was sent through emails. I'm not going to put it out here. You can go read it. Just look up Matt Shea, M-A-T-T space S-H-E-A, Matt Shea on Facebook. Go to the second link on his page and then I can't remember what the link said. I just did a find thing on my computer. Not a web search, but a find thing. Control F to find it. Typed in the word Bundy and the link came up. And then there's another link that is linked here that's linked over to the memo. Maybe I'll put a link in the show notes. This is intense. Oh, another thing. And another reason why this reminded me of the Randy Weaver standoff and all the teasing and taunting is because Eric Wunton, or not Eric Wunton, Larry Wunton, the person who was the whistleblower for the BLM, he was asked twice, you're not a Mormon, are you? That's what reminded me of what happened to Randy Weaver and the way Fred Lansley taunted the people on the PA. Now, some people will say, oh, well, they didn't know Vicki Weaver was dead. Well, I disagree. I think they did, because remember, Lon Horiuchi, when he fired that shot, wrote in a, on his notes, I think I hit somebody. Remember, he had a huge uh, scope that he was looking through. 
So be watching. This is a very important trial. And I'm tired of people saying, oh, uh, Kevin's too obsessed with the Bundys. Well, if they can do what they have done to the Bundys and get away with it, you could be next. I don't care if you're a liberal. You could be next. What's the old saying? Uh, something to the effect of uh, in Germany they came after the Catholics. Well, I'm not a Catholic. They came after the union workers and the laborers. Well, I'm not a union worker or laborer. They came after the Jews. Well, I'm not a Jew. But then they came after me, and there was no one left. Yeah. In other words, I didn't speak out. I have a lot of respect for these people that are reporting, uh, such as Brian Hyde, uh, Redoubt News, and a few others. Even the Oregonian is doing a pretty good job at reporting this, I, I have to admit. I'm surprised, but they are doing a good job. So we will stay tuned, and I will keep you updated as much as I can on the podcast. And let me finish with this, and I'll move on to something else. Let me finish with this. I want to echo what Brian Hyde said on the last interview that I did with him. Go back to Brian Hyde Part 2. Miracles are happening in this trial. He's right. I think the hand of God is at the mercy of the Bundys. I really do, in spite of the fact that some of us may not agree with their tactics. I think uh, God is watching over them. I really do. And I say that because, remember, Gloria Navarre was adamant that you, know, you, they, you couldn't mention the BLM. You couldn't mention Dan Love. You couldn't bring this in to the courtroom. Well, now she's being forced. So good for uh, Gloria Navarre for stepping it up. That's a miracle. I think the fact that Ammon Bundy was able to get out before Thanksgiving was a miracle. And yes, I'll admit, I've been praying for the Bundys. As a lot of us have. I know Janelie and Brian Hyde have. Janelie Tobias and Brian Hyde. And you know what? I was thinking about this earlier this morning. If Dan Love and his cronies don't go on trial, which I sure hope they do, I sure hope they get prosecuted and have justice come down on them on this earth life, or in this earth life, I should say. Let's hope so. But if they don't, if they just fly into the sunset, you know what? Two things are going to backfire on Dan Love and his cronies. Number one, karma. It seems like good or bad karma always comes back to you in some form or another. Now, that doesn't mean that Dan Love and his cronies will be starving and will be begging for food and all that, but I guarantee you that there will be people... Who will disown Dan Love? I don't know who, but I guarantee you it'll happen. Bat karma's already come to the Clintons. It'll come to Dan Love. 
It may not be for a long time, but it'll come. But what's more important than that, in the next life, Dan Love will have to answer for all of his misdeeds. Dan Love will get caught. Not that he hasn't gotten caught already, but he will get caught even more so in the next life. And the wrath of God will come down upon him. And it will not be pretty. I don't know what God will do. I, I have no idea. But I do know just from reading scriptures and whatnot, the wrath of God is going to come down on these agents. I read the headline. I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing. But apparently Jeff Sessions is now wanting an investigation into this. Good for him little late. And what about the Hammonds? We need to get them out of jail. So, I believe that uh, God will extend his hand, and the truth is on their side. The truth has no hidden agenda. What did William Shakespeare say? The truth shall set you free. On a lighter note, let's talk about my all-time favorite Christmas memory. In fact, if I had a time machine, I'd go back to that memory and just live it every Christmas. Or if I could somehow get in and out, get it, get, go back into that time period, 1987. If I could somehow go back there and then come back here and go back there, come back here periodically on a consistent basis, I'd do that too. But I want to talk about the Christmas of 1987, because that was a very good Christmas. The best Christmas I had ever had. I'm 37 years old, hadn't had a Christmas like 1987. Now I have, uh, oh, what, 20, 30 years on me still? Maybe I will, but I haven't yet. So until then, we'll talk about the Christmas of 1987. It was a uh, Saturday morning that uh, my grandparents came into town. It was the Saturday before Christmas. Christmas happened to be on a Friday of that year. And as uh, any kid that had a good relationship with the grandparents, I was certainly glad to see my grandparents. Very much so. As a matter of fact... When I was a kid, I used to sit on my grandfather's lap quite a bit, especially when he'd come over to our house. For some reason, I didn't sit on his lap so much when I went to his house, but when I went to when he came to ours, I definitely sat on his lap. And I remember that Saturday we had uh, breakfast and lunch, and then my grandfather asked me if I wanted to go to the mall with him for caramel corn. Of course I wasn't going to turn that down. By the way, this is when I lived in Ontario, Oregon, just so uh, if you're keeping track of things here. Is that there was a mall. It's unfortunately, I don't want to say defunct, but it's it's not uh, it's not the West Park Plaza anymore. Tractor store took part of it, and it's empty and the rest. But anyway, it was a uh, the West Park Plaza Mall in Ontario, Oregon, 1987. And I went to go have uh, caramel corn with uh, my grandfather. And he also bought me a slushie. 
typical good food for a seven-year-old, don't you think? So that was the same time that he told me that he enjoyed having me or he enjoyed taking me to the mall as opposed to my brother because apparently my according to my grandfather and I believe it if you know my brother my brother's not a bad person just the way he is he wanted to run around everywhere when my grandfather would take him he said I have a lot easier time taking you than I do with your brother because he wants to run around all over the place and he can't sit still <laughs> so uh, we talked and some people came up to me that I knew from the community and said hi and they introduced themselves to my grandfather And I don't think we talked much we just ate and then he wanted to go see a friend of his that he knew in the mall that had a store he worked at a store or something it was in the mall so we went over there and talked for a while and then of course we went home and then obviously the week went on and Christmas came actually let me talk about Christmas Eve really quick because Christmas Eve we used to have a tradition in our family where we'd break the pinata and speaking of my brother I remember that must have been maybe his third or fourth time breaking the pinata. My dad used to blindfold us and spin us around slowly so we wouldn't get dizzy. He'd slowly spin us around and we'd have to wave the bat and sure enough, my brother hit it hard. <laughs> it was uh, quite the sight. Even for a seven-year-old, I was pretty amused by what he just did. <laughs> he became a pro at it. But on Christmas Day, I got uh, a scooter. Now, this is one of those scooters where... Remember the uh, old scooters with the skateboard that was put on a bike frame? And you and the handlebars were like re were regular bicycle handlebars. Now, the bicycle handlebars feel a little bit different today than in 87, but back in 87, they were regular bicycle handlebars with the grip and everything, the brake. It was one of those scooters, and I got a ghetto blaster. And so I was pretty happy because I'd gotten everything I wanted that Christmas. So I was a pretty happy kid. So after we were done uh, opening up presents and my mom was cooking breakfast, my brother and I went outside and I went and I rode on the scooter. We had a cul-de-sac that we played in, so I rode on the scooter. And my brother was following me, telling me when to turn and things like that. And then my mom called us in and said it was time for breakfast, so we all went in and had my brother and I. We all had breakfast and cleaned up a little bit. Then I first thing I did with my ghetto blaster that I had that year is I recorded a Cinderella story that I had memorized. And then I went down to the basement, jumped on the exercise trampoline, sat on my grandfather's lap, of course. And I remember, too, my grandfather was watching a football game, and my grandmother was complaining that it's terrible to have football on Christmas. I, I don't know why, but I, I'll always remember that. She said it more than once, too. 
And then, of course, uh, that night, if you know anything about the family I come from, we played uh, Christmas Tree, and I got, uh, what, uh, one of those plastic candy canes with M&Ms inside. I remember that. Oh, my si that was the same year that my sister got a uh, gumball machine that uh, was one of those with a gumball machine. It was on a stand, and then welded to that stand was the gumball machine with a ceramic bowl, for lack of a better description. And we had a lot of fun with that. I remember that whole week my dad was constantly giving me pennies and quarters so I could get gum out of her gumball machine. I remember that. It was kind of funny looking back. Uh, we put a lot of things in there. We put M&Ms in there. We put lemon heads. We put gumballs, of course. We probably put some other things in there that I can't remember. It was a kind of a fun little toy for everybody, really. I think she still has it, I believe. But as fun as that was, and as good as a Christmas as that was, just in and of itself, the thing that makes that Christmas so special to me, well, two things. Number one, it was just a very innocent, good time in my life. Number two... That was the last Christmas that I spent with my grandparents in reasonably good health. That's what made it a good Christmas, and a very memorable Christmas. That was the last Christmas that I spent before my grandmother had a stroke a few years later. About three and a half years later, as a matter of fact. And Christmas with my grandparents was never the same after that. They weren't bad Christmases, it was just different. But I sure cherish that memory that I have with my grandparents when they were in reasonably good health. And I have many other good memories with my grandparents. I used to spend summers at their house in later years uh, from uh, back in 1988 and 89. I spent summers with them. Uh, there was even a time when, not because anything bad happened, but you know how it is when you go from one town to the town that your extended family, both sets of grandparents want to see you, so what did I do? I was bounced around between two sets of grandparents. Well, my grandmother on my mom's side and my grandparents. It was fine, but that's that's the way it was. It was a good time. And I remember, since we're on the topic of my grandparents on my dad's side here, uh, there were the times where, just randomly, when I would uh, stay with my grandparents during uh, the summers of 88 and 89. Uh, I stayed with them for a couple weeks out of those summers. I, my grandmother, on my, uh, on my dad's side, would just randomly say, Kevin, go have your grandfather turn on the sprinklers. You need to go run through the sprinklers. So I did. They had a sprinkler system, and I ran through it, just like a typical nine-year-old kid and it was then sometimes my grandmother would say get showered your sister wants to take you to the park or get showered or having pizza for dinner or things like that I have to say and I, I'm very sincere about this too I'm very fortunate to have had a good relationship with my grandparents on my dad's side I'm very fortunate I feel very blessed 
because I realize that not every kid had, or not everybody had a good relationship with their grandparents or certain extended family members. I'm very fortunate that I had a good relationship with my grandparents and some of my extended family, extended or some of my uncles in particular, that I've had a good relationship with over the years. I'm very, very fortunate. I consider it a blessing. You know, I remember that time when I was uh, with my grandparents. Uh, one of my uncles found out that I was still in town, and he wanted me to give him a call. And we talked for a good, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. A year later, I was down there, down here in Salt Lake. My uncle found out I was in town, so I called him, and I can't remember what day that was, but I do remember that Saturday during the summer of 89 when I was down here. He took me for a whole day and let me you know, took me over to his house, and let me jump on his trampoline, showed me some power tools, nothing heavy, just a drill press. And he showed me what he had in his basement, a, a radio that you could pick up a weather station. I thought that was really cool, because until then I'd never heard of such a thing. And I thought it was really interesting that there were radios out there that just picked up a weather station that would tell you the weather all the time. I figured out what it was eventually. But I'm just, you know, that, that was the same uncle that uh, him and... My aunt took me out for ice cream, and then my aunt had to go do some shop shopping, so naturally I w uh, tagged along with them, and people would come up to my aunt, and my aunt would say, oh, this is my nephew, Kevin, and I just, uh, I'm very grateful that I have had those experiences as a kid, because it would have been really easy for me not to, especially since I didn't grow up around here. You know, it could have been really, really easy for my uncle and my aunt and my grandparents. Oh, hey, yeah, there's Kevin. Well, he doesn't out here. It could have been really easy, probably more so for my uncle to ignore me. Or maybe not completely ignore me, just not have me over because I didn't interact with him at all, hardly at all as it was. So it was really nice and genuine of him to have me over to his house as a kid and that was the same uncle who introduced me to CB radio, by the way. I knew about a CB radio before, but I'd never talked on one until uh, one summer on a Saturday afternoon. I was jumping on my uncle's trampoline, and I just kind of randomly asked, do you have a CB radio? And I was expecting him to say no, or why would you ask that kind of a question? He said, yeah. Then he disappeared and came back and said, come over here. And I climbed into his boat and talked on the CB radio. So that was uh, because of him. I got into CB radio and ham radio. Well, partly because of him. Uh, mostly it was because of him I got into CB radio. Partly because of him that I got into ham radio. So I'm just uh, very fortunate to have had those experiences as a kid. And I do wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm not afraid to say it here on the LDSI podcast. We're not politically correct out here, as you know. I wish you a Merry Christmas, and I will be back next year. And speaking of next year, there's some things that I'd like to do with the podcast that I haven't really thought much about until this week. I've been thinking a lot about 
you know, as I've done my research on this podcast, I've been thinking a lot about what I want to do next year with this podcast. I have some ideas. I can't say what yet, but you'll find out because I need to I need to make sure everything's working right and things like that. But in the meantime, I will talk to you later. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to the LDS Life Podcast. To contact Kevin, email him at kevinw at ldslifepodcast.com. Don't forget to check him out on iTunes and other podcast apps. And don't forget to like the podcast on Facebook at LDS Life Podcast.